this is The Antidote with Dave Hawkins, where Christian music doesn't suck. from the latest album Kissing Strangers from Dead Artist Syndrome. I'm Dave Hawkins, and thanks for checking into the antidote where Christian music doesn't suck. You know, I've been listening to Dead Artist Syndrome for a long, long time, and I can never get enough of hearing that huge, deep voice of frontman Brian Healy. But the band is an oddity because it's made up of only Brian, who brings in a rotating cast of uber-talented musicians to help him make this music.
Healy's a brilliant guy with quite a background outside of music. He is a music expert, a radio host, an actor, a stand-up comedian, and is also an ordained minister. He and I had a chance for a long talk about every topic you could ever think of, and not much of it actually had to do with music. There's never been a question that Brian has a lot to say in the music of Dead Artist Syndrome, and tonight he brings his strong opinions to the antidote. Enjoy. Brian Healy, the father of Christian Goth and the frontman of Dead Artist Syndrome. Brian, man, this really is an honor. You're right, it is. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I just appreciate your interest uh, in what I'm doing. You're just happy because I sent you that $10 in the mail so we could talk. $10? I live in Southern California, pal. <laughs> <laughs> $10? I give homeless people more than $10, and that's just so they'll go away and stop guilting me because they're homeless and I'm not yet. Just kidding. Okay, we can restart this. I'm, I'm being silly. I, I will firm up and act concise and artistic. In other words, pompous, arrogant, and condescending. You got to tell me what kind of coffee you're drinking. Uh, it's uh, a blend called Pacific Gold. It's supposed to be a dark roast. I'm, I'm not one of these foo-foo coffee guys. To me, you know, 7-Eleven, Circle K, come and go. You know, I'm an off-the-rack coffee guy. To me, the biggest scam Satan's ever pulled is getting people to pay $3 for 50 cents worth of coffee. <laughs> Okay, so you're not a purist. Not at all. I mean, if I put five cups in front of you and gave them all exotic names and just got them from various donut shops, I don't think anyone would know the difference. You know, they'd be sitting there swirling it in their mouths talking about bouquet and the dark roasting. And yeah, it's like, no, it's just coffee, man. Well, you're talking to Canadians that are sort of coffee purists. Well, I understand. Everyone's got every, every form of refuge has its vice. <laughs> And that is definitely my vice, is having coffee. having coffee. Yeah. Now, do you uh, do you ever go for like exotics, like you know the the uh, French vanilla creamer or Bailey's or Kahlua or you know anything you know the weird additives that people tend to do now? Well, here's the weirdest one: is they have an animal that's like a civet that actually eats the coffee beans. Yeah. Oh, I've heard about this. Yeah. And craps it out. We've had it, and it's not really very good coffee. Well, I would imagine it tastes like, uh, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) This coffee tastes like, well, funny thing you said that, because it is, you know. (laughs) i 
Dead Artist Syndrome came with you. And since Brian's with us, let's go back to our talk. Evangelism is not my strong suit these days. Even though you're an ordained minister. Well, yeah, but I'm kind of trying to reprogram the world to, I'm Christian, but not one of them. I didn't think in my lifetime someone could turn the term evangelical into a vicious, dirty word. And it certainly happened, hasn't it? I, I believe so. Yeah, I think I think Jesus has become a brand to the American church to uh, to sell various things and gather mailing lists and power and has really any, nothing to do with Christianity whatsoever. Well, you've certainly stated that in your music over the years, haven't you? I guess I have. But when I write, I just write about what's influencing me and what I'm thinking at the time. And sometimes, yeah, I do think that way. I mean... I can't say this anymore. At one time, I used to tell people, pick up a copy of Christianity Today, and you'll see what real Christians are doing in the world. Well, now if you pick up a copy of Christianity Today, you might as well pick up Rush Limbaugh's newsletter. You know, BGA should be shut down as far as I'm concerned before Franklin destroys the legacy completely of Billy Graham. If you had a list of things Billy Graham said you should never do because I did them and they were stupid— uh, apparently, Franklin got the wrong list. He thinks the title's different. It says, you know, how to, how to lead BGA into spiritual bankruptcy. Take positions on issues that don't matter. You know, isolate enormous swaths of the population because of your political opinions. Make cultural things spiritual. You know, the usual rundown. And it's true because Christianity is political, unfortunately, especially, I guess, in the States, not so much in Canada. Well, here's the problem. It's political in the States, but it's not political the way it should be. It should be political like the Sermon on the Mount. They've made it political as a laissez-faire capitalism and consumerism and corporatism and power. Unfortunately, I don't know if it's misinformed or a lack of intelligentsia, they have convinced people that they need to be a single-issue voter. So if you're making minimum wage, they've got you voting for a party that has absolutely no interest in your well-being, but they're pro-life. And it's like, no, you just can't vote on one issue. But that's what they have programmed people to do here. And especially when you have what were once reputable ministries, it's been documented, you kicking 200 grand, you get focus on the family uh, telling everyone you're a Christian issue now, and you get their mailing list. The first time I saw this, they made the Panama Canal a Christian issue. Mm. 
Now, how the Panama Canal being by Carter being given back to Panama is Christian, I have no idea. <laughs> but somehow that yeah, that was the first time and then you've got these professional fundraisers like Ralph Reed and stuff and Frank Luntz who create buzzwords and terms, sell them to Christians, convince Christians they've got nowhere else to go, and then they ignore them after they're in office. It's okay that you're sorry, unless they consider you a liberal. Then you're going to hell, so it doesn't really matter. They're just dusting Satan off their shoulders by ignoring you. Yeah. See, we got into politics already. I am a political guy. I got, I got to tell you. You know, it, there's a great line in the, uh, in the musical The Producers. It makes no difference if it's politics or history. All you've got to know is everything is showbiz. And that's literally, you know, the way I perceive it. It's, it's all some sort of thing to sell something else. I think you're setting yourself up to run, Brian, because here you are, you're in showbiz, and you've got a political stance. No, I mean, I'm not in the business. Okay, I used to be more in the business of show, as we say. No, now I'm just a guy in a band. You know, that's the other thing. I mean, I say things that are controversial, and I have a lot of opinions, and since it's Canadian, I'll, you know, self-censor myself and not use the usual profanity adjectives that I am of want to use. But I just don't suffer fools gladly. I mean, I used to have on my Facebook site, I don't think all conservatives are stupid. But of the stupid people I know, they are all conservatives. <laughs> now, whether, you know, why that is, I don't know. It's like deep down, I, you know, I've got this theory. Show me a fundamentalist and I'll show you basically a miserable person. This is how I view fundamentalism. It's like if you learn to play piano, but instead of enjoying the music, all you do is concentrate on your mistakes and the bad notes. <laughs> and I just don't see that as a way to live your life in a positive manner or uh, living your life like a fire drill because, boy, you know, Jesus might just come back on Tuesday. It's like, really, that's the best you've got for being a nice person and doing on to others is Jesus could come back and surprise you? How's that working out for you?
I mentioned that DAS has been around for quite a while. That was one of those older tracks, USA from 1995's Happy Hour. American Christianity has so many flavors of stupid. Now, I know Canada, I've got friends that are Canadian, but at, I've got to say, at least your degrees of stupid seem to at least be smarter degrees of stupid. I don't know. It depends on the person you're talking to. Yeah, I mean, our degrees of stupid... I know people that have prayed whether it's okay to have the devil's food cake instead of the cheesecake. Oh, right. You mean and then pot you blessings have, instead of potluck. Right. Yeah, it, it's like, wait a second, what's the difference? Well, one's got devil in the name. I had a friend who asked someone to remove a statue of a frog from their house because a frog was mentioned in the Old Testament as a sign of a plague, and it was against God. Oh, and it's my. like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> That'd be like, hey, I've stopped drinking. Close down all the liquor stores. That's absolutely the wrong approach. I think, you know, as people in general and as Christians, we need to vaccinate ourselves from the evil in the world, not try to quarantine ourselves. Exactly. And just accept it. I mean, evil comes up a lot in what I do because I, I, I find it fascinating because everyone's looking for horns and red tails and flames and teeth and fangs. And no, it's usually a smile. It's usually something desirable. It's something you want. It's something you want to walk into. Evil sales pitch is there's something desirable about it. There's a story. You know, it's like a con man. They never just say, give me $50. They give you a story first, and they lure you in, and then they drop the boom. Well, I think that's what a lot of evangelical churches do now. At one time, I used to use this illustration uh, for the militia movement in the United States, which is crackpot crazy. Uh, please don't bomb my house, guys. I, I love your rights. Uh, but it starts out at one end with uh, Second Amendment rights, private property rights, and then it starts adding things in and getting narrower and narrower until you're at the other end of the funnel and you're Timothy McVeigh. Mm -hmm. And by that time, they've slowly prepped you and, and, and sold your mind. Well, I think the church is starting to do that. They start with love, peace, and joy. Uh, I used to make this joke that uh, I'm good enough for Jesus, but am I good enough for Chuck Smith? But I like Chuck. I use Chuck as an example, but that was always my example. And you know what? I was good enough for Chuck Smith. Guess what? A lot of people who went to his church, I wasn't good enough for them, though. Their standards were higher than Chuck Smith's because they didn't have the wisdom or the spiritual maturity. Fortunately, I go to a church that is totally the opposite way. I've always said about how churches are exclusive instead of being inclusive. Well, yeah, I mean... Uh, that, that's one of the things. I keep seeing these people post these things on Facebook, and I have this one comment I use repeatedly. Well, apparently that church doesn't have a welcome mat. But my winnowing bar used to be, is there an ashtray outside the church? There's an ashtray outside the church. I I'm going to be fine there. Yeah. And it's got nothing to do with smoking. It's got to do with the acceptance of people as they are. If it's got 30 signs that says no smoking on, and I love this word, the campus, I guess it could be worse. They could say the Holy Monastery, Sacred Ground. But yeah, if it's not corporatized, it's over-pietized. So. <laughs> I am so glad that I'm talking to you. Oh, man, we are so much on the same page. I sell so few records, I can't make my audience any smaller. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when anyone says, so what's the market like you know, for your audience? And I just say, <laughs> always going up. You can't go any further down. It has to always be going up. You know, uh, 
I'm a mainstream artist, but as far as, you know, my Christian fan base, I'm a subculture and a subculture subculture. I'm thinking of having a GoFundMe so I can do a Kickstarter to give people money to listen to my record. Oh, wait, they did that in the 70s. It was called Payola. And dang it, wouldn't you know it, I got into radio right as that started ending. Uh, just lousy timing. Canadian public radio, man, they, you know, they could be talking about a motocross magazine and somehow they'll work in, you know, the First Nations angle on the story. Because uh, I don't know, I think you guys approach your First Nations Native North Americans differently than America. It's quite to us, different. To us, they're guilt trips and casinos. To you guys, there's actually a sense of responsibility, <laughs> you know. <laughs> When I did one of the, the first Christian songs dealing with AIDS, mm -hmm. I was an outlayer. I wasn't trying to exploit AIDS. Well, now you've got Lady Gaga, and she can't go four seconds without condescendingly patronizing a gay audience. It's like, okay, we get it. You like us. Quit beating it to death. You don't have to keep telling me how much you're supporting. I'm straight, but that's just how I'd perceive it. You know, oh, I it's hear just you. quite enough crumb throwing. I get it. Here's the Dead Artist Syndrome song dealing with AIDS. This is Angeline. The song is over, you sadly danced into the night. No more tears flow from the eyes that once were bright. Heaven knows only fools believe that life is fair. I was one of those who turned away in your despair It's much too late to say I'm sorry now It's much too late to say goodbye It's much too late to say I love you and you leave It doesn't matter it started and by you All I know is that somehow that it got to you You'd sit and listen as from my mouth the judgments fell On victims who slipped away to self I said it's much too late to say I'm sorry now It's much too late to say goodbye It's much to say I love you and you leave As I walk underneath the cloudy sky I ask myself will I ever know the reasons why A child of God had to die alone your tears Damn my soul to hell If I should turn my back in fear It's much too late To say I'm sorry now It's much too late To say goodbye It's much too late To say I love you and you leave It's much too late you say I'm sorry now It's much too late To say goodbye It's much too late To say I love you and you leave And you leave 
So how's that Trump thing going down in Canada? <laughs> Trump? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he usually gets laughed at as being a buffoon, and he's rated as being about the equivalent of Toronto's ex-mayor, Rob Ford. Uh, you know, I, I was going to say, that is so unfair to Rob Ford. At least Rob Ford was on crack. And Rob Ford is now being idealized now that he's passed away. Guys, did you forget what happened? Yeah, I don't know if it's a libertarian bent or what, but Rob Ford and Rush Limbaugh have pulled two of the greatest scams in the world, conservative drug addicts. How do you pull that off? I think you had to live in Toronto to actually enjoy Rob Ford because he kept getting voted back in. And everybody else would just laugh and it would just cringe every time the guy would be on the news doing something extremely stupid again. Yeah. At first, I thought it was just robbing the drugs, and I started reading some of his brother's quote, and apparently their whole family's a piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've just lost the conservative Canadian vote on this. You guys don't need to buy the record either. Sorry. This can be the, the synopsis when I die uh, interview. You know how they've always got the obituary cut? You know, well, an unreleased interview. Well, no one's going to care if I die except for my family, one. But if something should happen and they do care, yeah, you've got great stuff here. But Brian, you and I are close now, so I'm going to care. And we're just going to put this on repeat. Just keep looping constantly this whole conversation. That would be great. I mean, I I just like talking to real people like a real person. I mean, that's the one advantage I've got is uh, I've known so many friends in Christian music and they just behave so differently when they're at a show and it's just like my thing is i'm who i am wherever i am Mm -hmm. i don't need someone seeing me light up a cigarette driving down the 405 freeway 20 minutes after the gig and their soul is crushed because i'm one of those christians it's like no i'm one of those christians right up front you know i am am sad to hear about gordy howell gordy howell prince glenn frey it's just like this is not a good year for legends muhammad ali I mean, Jagger and Richards have got to be looking at their watches and sweating at this point. So you've got to be nervous, too. Oh, yeah, I'm not a legend, trust me. Only in my own mind. (laughs) Maybe to the refrigerator because I take weight off of him. (laughs) After that last part of our talk, what could be more appropriate than playing Life Amongst the Dead? This is Brian Healy of Dead Artist Syndrome, and you're listening to, well, it's a radio. You should know that by now. What are you, a kid? Actually, you're listening to The Antidote on the radio. Keep listening. Looking out a frosted window pane, from the shadows. 
shadows through the acid rain Darkness covers the sparkling eyes As hell-bent angels dream of suicide Lonely mortals that will not hear Silent voices who could them near Still I listen to their cries As we watch their lives slip by Life amongst the dead No sadness, no weeping Life amongst the dead Still voices not speaking Life amongst the dead The faithful are sleeping As dreams of heaven are dancing in their To the father of lies Death has made them equals In eternal fire's eyes Cross the bridge at the river From the water is life Feel the power and glory Of the risen Christ Life amongst the dead no sadness, no weeping Life amongst the dead Still voices not speaking Life amongst the dead The faithful are sleeping As dreams of heaven are dancing Dreams of heaven are dancing Dreams of heaven are dancing in the air I'm tired of me talking about myself. Why don't you talk about me for a while? <laughs> I'm going to do that because we are going to talk about you. But being called uh, the father of Christian goth, what kind of a reaction did Christians give when they first heard the music of Dead Artist Syndrome? Uh, surprisingly, young people, uh, I think, were a little more shocked. When I first showed up, we were really nice and we broke down, you know, a lot of barriers and... Uh, I was, quote-unquote, a pioneer, which basically means you get a lot of arrows in your back. And when I went to play the Gospel Music Association New Artist Showcase, all these blue-haired old ladies just absolutely loved what I did because their frame of reference was George Beverly Shea, Bean Crosby, deep-voiced baritone crooners. To younger people, all they hear is Jim Morrison and all this dark thing. I don't particularly think I'm doing anything dark. So, you know, the whole Christian goth thing, I think, uh, just got assigned to me 
Well, first of all, you know, the person who's on record is saying it, the late Roz Williams of Christian Death. He apparently heard it and said, oh, my God, it's the father of Christian goth. You know, I think I write pop songs and do kind of popish rock songs, but I have a, dark, a deep voice and everyone assumes it's dark. Well, it is your vocal delivery, but I mean, goth, that's how I would have described Prince of Darkness that you brought back out in 1990. Yeah, yeah, and, they're, and they're gonna, you know, that's going to come out again. If someone wants to put it out in vinyl, and uh, which I'd be thrilled over, you know, because I, I love vinyl. But uh, uh, I unfortunately got into music uh, when the day of the gorgeous 12-inch mm. album cover, you know, went by the wayside. I used to love going to a record store and buying a record. And, and just even before you put it on, opening it and looking at the artwork was just like an experience unto itself. Now you open up a CD or, you know, something, uh, you need a microscope. And then, you know, in cassettes, we're the same way. And I just still can't understand the whole download thing. There's something weird to me about buying something and not having a physical product in my hand. You know, I like the convenience. I like everything about it. People buy more downloads than the physical units. But it was weird to me not having a physical disc in my hand, you know, and summing through the lyrics or looking at the pictures while I'm listening to the disc. Does that mean you're going to redo the artwork for Prince of Darkness? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that what would be nice is the way I created it the first time was an extremely lengthy process because uh, it was all done physical. And now I think it's like three clicks in Photoshop, <laughs> you know, which is nice. You know, I, I used to love that. Hey, Dana Spallinger, who went to the Pittsburgh School of Art. <laughs> And studied all that graphic arts? Well, now everything you do can be done by a four-year-old, you know, with the basic software on his uh, Mac or PC. Oh, I think <laughs> you're exaggerating a little bit, man. That's really... I, I'm not. I'm not. I remember <laughs> having to pay someone to typeset somebody, cutting it into little squares, taking wax on the back and putting it on things and then photographing it and having it turned into film and then separations. Not anymore, baby. Someone types it in, they pick a font, they hit send, they hit click, and it's done. You can do an album cover in, in five minutes flat.
back to Prince of Darkness. I thought that album had a real goth flavor. Now, you mentioned about doing pop music, and I guess really your later stuff seemed to head more that way. Was that a purposeful change? Uh, I just write about what I'm feeling at the time, and at that time there was a lag in music. One of the things about Prince of Darkness is there were two tunes on it that I dropped off that was more in tune to... uh, the way I was, but when it came out, uh, we made the decision to just, you know, go the solid, uh, instead of a comedy drama, just go total drama, and that means it either came out as a drama or a really unfunny comedy. So I just do what I am doing at the time, and at that point, I was creating in the studio uh, with with the songs and all the pre-stuff, and I know exactly what I want to do, and I hear it, and Lucky for me, I've got, you know, extremely talented friends. Uh, It just baffles everyone else how I just, like, whip them and bully them into what I want. (laughs) Because part of the key to to what I do, I mean, now I've got dead artist syndrome. I've set it up from this point on to where it is a band. But prior to that, it was a band. But I really liked it to have, like, a turnstile effect so everything was uniquely different. So that was nice. And there were times I'd work with people that were uh, a little more novice, and they just couldn't believe, you know, that I had these people who they looked up to, how, you know, I would beat them into submission. The purpose was to get these people like Mike Rowe or Derry or Jim Nicholson or Ojo Taylor or Mike Knott and make them do something they can't do in their own project. Those guys are major people. For people that are really into this type of music are going to instantly recognize those names. And how much did you have to pay them? Nothing, because they're my friends. I knew these guys before they were enigmas and famous. This isn't, you know, what's actually happened, but it's sort of like looking at that ex-girlfriend and going, lighten up, honey, I held your hair while you puked. (laughs) You know, it's that kind of thing. I know where the bodies are buried. They know everything about me. I know everything about them. And the the whole thing was going to the shows and stuff. That was the disconnect for me. You know, I see them all change. You want to know the most honest Mike Rowe. It's when he tells that semi-off-color joke, because as long as I've known Mike, he's like the 10-year-old kid who learned a dirty word in church, you know, and wants (laughs) to try it out every now and then. But a lot of guys just all of a sudden put on absolute best behavior And I just couldn't do that because I'm not good at best behavior. I'm an actor, but I don't want to act in real life. I wish you were a little bit more opinionated, though. You just seem to be such a go-with-the-flow type of guy. (laughs) Well, I I don't know. I I guess we evolve by adapting. And uh, I guess I've had to become adaptable. I can't afford to be thin-skinned because I'm fat. No, uh, I can't afford to be thin-skinned just because that's not my nature. That and I know how my brain works and one of the things I always struggled with when I was younger, I mean I can pretty much see someone, see what their greatest fear and weakness is and then the hardest thing is the self-control not to eviscerate them, you know, if they say something that offends me. Like I said, I don't suffer fools. I go straight for the nuclear option.
from the original release of Prince of Darkness as being too sarcastic was Rich Girl. Now, you brought up both acting and comedy. I read yes. somewhere that you were a stand-in double for John Candy. Yeah, yeah, I, I did three films with John. Uh, probably the nicest guy Canada could have produced. And, uh, yeah, God bless him, he was a great guy. I did that. For uh, let's see, planes, trains, and automobiles, part of Spaceballs, and uh, all of uh, Great Outdoors. That must have been so cool. It, it, it was. I mean, and, and it's nice because you know there are certain things I can look at. It's you know, it's just like I love that scene where John gets whacked in the head with the tennis racket when he's uh, you know, they're chasing the bat, and Dan Aykroyd hits him in the face with the tennis racket. It's like, yeah, well, I didn't enjoy it as much because that was my face, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh, that was so funny when the bear's jumping on the door. Yeah, try being under the door. It's so funny how Hollywood works, you know, because it's like, okay, well, here's the million-dollar celebrity, and here's the guy, you know, who does his, his light stunts and double work. We don't mind killing him. You know? <laughs> we can get another one of him, you know. God forbid, you know, the, the star cuts his finger. <laughs> you know, even John used to have fun with it. Oh, man, that's too funny. And is this why you live in Hollywood? Oh, uh, well, I, yeah, I, I was at the time. I was actually living in Pasadena because, I mean, living in Hollywood, no one in Hollywood is what they say they are. The waitress is not a waitress. She's an actress. The bartender's a screenwriter and going to film school or something. And I was just a guy who happened to work at a job, and it was just like any other factory job I had, only the final product was far more visible. Uh, to the general public. I love hearing you talk and all these opinions. You've always expressed a lot of opinion in your music. You've often been compared to Steve Taylor. You know, taking a look at, let's be delicate here and say, inconsistencies in the church and society. So what was it that DAS wanted to change? Uh, I didn't really want to change anything because that would imply I had a utilitarian purpose. I just uh, say what I think, and sometimes I even think before I say it on rare occasion. And I think my overall goal is just to, you know, express a, a feeling, a thought, an emotion, a character. You know, everything is like a, a little cohesive story in itself, but yet part of a bigger production. Because uh, I still think in terms of whole albums. Uh, and now everyone thinks in terms, it's almost like the 50s, everyone thinks in terms of singles and single songs now. I think of overall context as well. So for me, being opinionated a lot of times, it, it's sort of like everyone goes, oh, you know, you're so funny. And it's like, well, no, I'm not trying to be funny. I just said what I was thinking. You're not sure if you're actually just trying to antagonize people? No, I'm not trying to antagonize people at all. I mean, if I, if, I, if I see someone and go, oh, cute sure, Target have a sale, <laughs> I'm not trying to antagonize them. It's just the first thing that came to my mind. I mean, it's not like Tourette's. It's just that, you know, sometimes I, I just say things. Uh, uh, you know, I've gotten smarter. I'm the last guy to answer, does this make me look fat? <laughs> no, being fat probably makes you look fat. That's just covering it up very poorly. <laughs> you know, that's coming from a fat guy. No, I just think that you're better off being honest and being hated for who you are than being liked for someone you're not. Doesn't do much for record sales, too, does it? Well, like I said, I, I would like to think it's my lack of talent and uh, 
looking for a specialized audience that that does that. I'd like to think that if someone else were doing my songs, you know, they'd be considered pretty pretty good songs. You know, I turn a phrase pretty well, or I interpret someone else's songs, I think, pretty well. But uh, I, I think I was just so offbeat that on one level, people just don't take me seriously, and that's okay. I like that, and that gives me the freedom to say and do what I want. I can't believe that, you know, some guy uh, in a band will make some what fundamentalists consider pro-gay just by saying, you know, I think we should be accepting and loving, and, mm-hmm. you know, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you, you talk to adulterers, and you don't want to deny them their rights, so why would you want to deny anyone else, you know, based on a, another thing that you quote-unquote perceive as sin, which I don't necessarily do. Uh, I don't thin-slice my theology. No, I, I've known gay Christians my, my entire life. You know, I'm just surprised that other people didn't realize they were out there and existed. And I'm sorry, but they shouldn't have to go away just because you don't like it. Don't be so arrogant. They really don't want to hit on you. Maybe you're just not that good looking. Maybe the same (laughs) reason you can't get a girlfriend, you probably wouldn't be able to get a boyfriend. You know, maybe you're just a dirtbag and a loser. Okay, that's a little hard. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, maybe you've just got a personality that stinks. (laughs) Yeah, at least in this country, I mean, being called liberal is like a notch uh, above or below gay, depending on who you're talking to. A lot of fundamentalists interpret the word liberal as an adjective to describe, you know, what they perceive as weak sissy, screwing up everything. You were warned about Brian Healy having strong ideas, and you've heard a lot of them, but not all. Next week, The Antidote returns with the rest of our conversation with Brian, and a lot more of the music from Dead Artist Syndrome. As always, thanks for joining The Antidote, and I'd love to hear your opinions about the opinions of Brian Healy and the music of DAS. If you want to share them, send me a note, dave at theantidoteradio.com, or message me on Facebook or Twitter. Now here is an interesting song written for DAS by Rick Alba, who is a major player in both Undercover and The Altar Boys. A boy and a girl looks at the relationship of a couple that began 20 years earlier on the undercover song Francine. Enjoy this and enjoy your week. (laughs) 